I was struck this morning how valuable these songs of truth and faith are to us and how I just want to carry them through the week, keep reminding myself of the things that are certainly so. And, um, you know, that's one nice thing about the service order booklet. And we don't have the, the words to the choir anthem in there, but everything else is there. You could sing these songs all week long. And often those songs that convey the truth are what stick in our mind and in our heart and help us through uh, the different difficulties of the day and of the week. And there are difficulties. I mean, we learned last week from the letter of 1 John that we now live and have now for centuries live in an era of Antichrist. And even those who have been among us as professing Christians can leave the flock and not only leave the flock, but leave the faith. And that's sobering. Um, it's one thing when you know the possibility is out there. It's another when you see names and faces and people that you love that have turned away. We might well respond the way the disciples of Jesus did when He told them in the upper room that one of them was about to betray Him, Lord, is it I? Like, what's going to keep me from turning away? What will keep us from falling away ourselves? Whether we're looking at a Judas or a Demas or a brother or sister we know personally, what is it that marks those who hold fast to Christ versus those who drift away and in time turn against Christ? It's fitting that the Apostle John answers this strategic question that naturally rises from what we looked at last week, right after talking about the Antichrist of his day. And my prayer is that his words to us this morning will give us resolve and give us comfort in these last days full of Antichrist. If you'll follow with me as I read 1 John 2, 24 to 29. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. You know that He is righteous. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You notice as we read through that, that I underline the word abide or abides. It appears six times in our text, and the basic idea of it is to remain or to stay, and hence the title for the message this morning, Staying Power, versus defecting with the spirit of Antichrist. These verses lay out for us three main truths about staying power, remaining in Jesus. First, the sure foundation, divine fellowship through God's Word that abides 
in you. That's verses 24 to 25. And then in verses 26 to 27, our present protection, discernment from the Spirit who abides in you. And then verses 28 to 29, future certainty, expectation for the coming Christ in whom you abide. These three major areas are absolutely necessary to us to stay in Christ versus to turn away from Him. Let's look at the sure foundation, divine fellowship through God's Word that abides in you. John writes, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, stay in you, remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide. You too will stay in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. As I read those words, I was reminded of what we sing, still my soul be still, do not forsake the truth you learned in the beginning. What you heard from the beginning, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the apostolic message versus new teachings, like we're becoming popular through what would become known as Gnosticism, the, the know-it-alls, those that claim to have superior knowledge and an improvement on biblical truth. Reality is there's a continuity to biblical truth. What you heard from the beginning is still true. The apostles taught that New Testament revelation didn't contradict Old Testament prophecies, but rather confirmed them and completed them. You see one overriding message in the Bible. It's the good news that God is calling out a people for His name through Jesus, the promised Messiah. And this gospel, this good news is for all ethnicities and all generations. It is ancient in its origin, but it is not time-worn or obsolete in its truth or power. Really important for us. It doesn't matter if you cross a border. In fact, if you cross a border and the truth changes, it's not gospel truth. This gospel is for all ethnicities, and this gospel is for all time, all generations. So the whole notion that somehow it needs to be updated and improved is just a lie. We're not, you know, we may have more technology. We may be carrying cell phones in our pockets. Um, we may be driving cars um, rather than chariots or wagons, but that doesn't mean that we have changed fundamentally as a human race. We still have the same needs, and we still need the same cure. The gospel you learned at the beginning does not need upgrade or replacement. Some people teach that biblical truth is fine for the beginning. You know, it's kind of like low-level stuff, but it's not, it's not what you need for growth and advancement. They claim they've grown beyond it. Well, they are lying. They're either self-deceived or they're just telling you a lie. Either way, it's a lie. There, there's no way you're going to grow beyond the truth you learned at the beginning if you've learned that truth from the apostolic message found in the Scriptures. You remember when Paul went to Athens, the people there were always enamored with some new thing. I mean, Athens was, 
It's really about 400 years past uh, its, its prime, the golden age of Greece, but they loved to philosophize. They loved to speculate. They loved to talk about new things. Um, you know, I don't know what they would have done if they had an internet. It would have just, you know, but, but, but it's essentially that same kind of spirit. What's new? Um, 2 Timothy 3.7 describes those in the last days who are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And in fact, today, we're essentially told that there is no truth to find, that, that it's all about exploration, it's all about discovery and figuring things out for yourself, but there is no absolute truth. And of course, if you say there is no absolute truth, you've just given the only absolute truth, so maybe there are absolute truths. But look, beware of wasting your time, and time is what makes up your life, exploring speculations instead of rooting yourself in firm biblical truth. Now, depending on how you're wired, and some people don't, don't like exploring philosophical concepts, and uh, they like sticking with the, the tried and true, and in some ways, they're more protected if, if they've been taught well. But be careful if you have a, a desire for learning and you want to grow. Be careful that you never that you never fool yourself into thinking that you're going to grow beyond the truth you learned at the beginning. You've got to keep rooting yourself in it. And what you find is that that truth continues to shed light on the things that you are learning. And it, and it starts, to, um, starts to fill in. He says, let that truth you learned in, in the beginning, let it abide in you. He said, if it abides in you, if it remains in you, if it stays in you, then there's going to be a result to that. There's an if-then statement. I'm reminded of the blessed man, the happy man in Psalm 1, the gateway psalm. And we talk about exaltation to the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's what he takes pleasure in. Rather than listening to the counsel of the wicked. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, there... I'm going to talk about this more in this message, but there, there's just a great danger for us in, in a culture that is awash with so much information. And certainly, after the last two or three years, you ought to know that a lot of the information is false anyway. Be careful. Be careful about how much you're taking in. Who is discipling you? Who is teaching you? What is abiding in you? You, you've got to protect yourself from the lies by letting the Word of God abide in you, making it part of who you are. If you do, the text says, then you will abide, you will stay, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And the way John talks, you can tell he's been with Jesus. And we're reminded of the words of Jesus in John 15. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Your fruitfulness, your health, your life trajectory is dependent on your letting God's truth abide in you so that you can abide in God. 
John 15, 7 through 11, he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, notice he's making that connection as well, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this affects your prayer life, what you're going to God about. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, my learners, my followers. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Look, treasure treasure Christ's love for you. Revel in His love for you. You know, if you're treasuring His love, why would you seek out a false love? Why would you fall in love with some replacement for Him? If you keep my commandments, if you guard them, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't want a joyful life. You know, nobody sets out in life saying, I want to be as sad as I possibly can be. I, I want to be an abject failure. I, I want it to be a, a, a trail of tears. Nobody wants that, and there are plenty of tears, there are plenty of failures, there are plenty of sorrows, but that's not what our heart wants. Here Jesus says, you want joy? Let me give you my joy. Let me give you joy that's infinite. Let me give you joy that's forever. Let me give you joy that will, that, that, that will, you'll never reach a point at which it, it's no longer valid. And the path to that joy is through the word that he's spoken. In fact, on that upper room discourse from which John 15 is a part, he, as he explains all these things, and he's going to talk about the Spirit as well, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. What keeps you from falling away? It's, a, it's, a, it's the love that you have for the Word of the Gospel, the Word of Christ, and the love that you have for the closeness to Christ, to the Father and the Son that that gives you. If that's your highest treasure, then you don't want to lose that, not for anything in the world. This is the promise that he made to us. And again, he takes us back to what God has said, a promise. This is words that you heard at the beginning. Faith in his promises is what gives us hope. It's what gives us endurance. It's what, what keeps us going on. His word connects us to a certain future his word guides us every step of the way there. And beware of those who market their own techniques and philosophies as what you have to have to advance. You know, it's the clickbait stuff. But they're, they're spiritual clickbait. They've discovered a new secret to spiritual success. You need to read their new book and you'll be convinced Practice this formula. Attend this seminar. I mean, if, you're, if you haven't been reading this blog site, you're out of it. You'll never be able to walk with Jesus. Beware of those who explain away or deny clear Scripture in order to promote a new understanding of what is obscure. One of the marks of the cults is, is they'll take, and by cults I mean false teachers, they take something that's kind of weird and hard to understand and they build a whole system on it while they, they just ignore what, what is totally clear in the Scripture. If you let God's Word abide in you, you will abide. You'll stay in the Father and in the Son. This closeness to God does not come 
divorced from his word. And it makes sense. I mean, how can you be close to any person whose words you ignore or belittle or deny? I mean, how many husbands have you, have, have you heard your wife say, honey, you're not listening to me? Hey, um, we, people we love, we want, we listen to. And if you love Jesus, you want to listen to his word. And this is his promise. It's eternal life. His word declares his gospel, the good news, that eternal life is ours in Jesus. And that eternal life is not just referring to a length of time, but it's referring to a fellowship with God now and forever. It's, it's both quality and quantity sort of statement. Eternal life is the, the life of God in the, in the soul of man. And according to the promises of God, it's only going to get better. We, we, we long for the day as all things are fulfilled. Now, people may consider you a simpleton. They will consider you a simpleton. They, they will ridicule. But you just remember this. What you have promises and it will fulfill in giving you eternal life. What they're peddling won't. What they're peddling is darkness and death. So they can pound their chest and they can look down on you, down their nose at you. They, they can talk about how simplistic you are with your Bible and, you know, quoting Bible verses and spending time, you know, wasting your time on Sunday mornings like you are here. They can talk all I want about that, but they can't deliver. They can't deliver eternal life. They, they can't deliver the life of God in the soul of man. They, they can't rescue anybody the way Jesus rescues us. If you let the word slip away from your heart, you lose fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And do recognize that when you lose that, when you lose your connection with God the Father, God the Son, then you're losing the eternal life that God gives. And I'm not talking about you're losing your salvation. I'm talking about if, you're, if you don't hold on to the Word and through that your relationship to God, that's the basis of your eternal life. This is the reason you have hope. This is, this is the, the sureness of your anchor. Genuine believers refuse to let go of God's Word because they refuse to let go of God's promise. It is, it is what their hearts most desire, and you can kill them if you want. They will still hold on. The spirit of the age is such, and in our own, our own culture for years, really, it's, it's, it's easy for busyness, being busy doing stuff, to keep us from actually spending time in the Word and letting the Word abide in us. Um, that's, that's always a difficulty for us. If you're too busy to have time in the Word, then you're just flat too busy. You need to burn the idols and make room and, and let the Word of God abide in you. And then what, what has developed in really since around 2000 is the spirit of the age now is driven by, by image-based information. Swipe, 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 
you know, every few seconds you're seeing more information, just, just overloading. Um, they're, they're actually finding that our, our addiction to this kind of technology is rewiring our brains. That, that it is causing, a, is causing us to have difficulty actually with sustained thinking that's logical. Do you realize what that means? If I can't meditate, if I can't sustain a thought, if I can't think logically, I become a dupe. I become easily swayed by propaganda and mind control. As I thought about it, I thought, you know, it's like we're on the brink of a new dark ages. Because, you know, the the classical world was a very literate world. The, the, the world in which the New Testament was written, was, there's high literacy rate across the empire. And, and the Jewish people to whom the Old Testament, they were highly literate. Now, not that everybody had a copy. They, they would copy out things, small portions of Scripture, and there's a lot of emphasis on hearing the Scripture, but they were literate. They were able to think, we're in an age that tries to keep you from thinking with overload, with being bored unless there's something changing every few seconds. And I, I just want to appeal to you, this is not a good thing. You are going to have to fight the spirit of the age. You say, well, how, how do I do that? Well, you really are going to need to limit how much you're exposing yourself to that kind of culture. And you're going to need to build the ability to meditate on God's Word, to think, to reason. And look, if you have to lock up your phone, if you have to shut down your, all your devices and say, this is, a, this is a no-fly zone, so that you can think, then do it. Or else you're going to get sucked into the spirit of the age. And, and a lot of what I see as far as people drifting from truth, professing believers drifting from truth, you can tell that they've been drinking at these poison wells like constantly. And, and their thinking has been totally rewired. You know, it's possible to, instead of reading God's Word, you just read books about God's Word or read blogs about God's Word. It's not that people aren't reading at all. But you need the Word, and you find a prevailing disdain for, for biblical teaching. And sometimes it's, it's camouflaged with, by using pejorative terms for biblical truth. They'll, they'll use a term like patriarchy. They'll take one slice of what that can mean that's, that's very negative and say, well, nobody would be for that but then they'll apply it to the whole biblical teaching about male and female, about husbands, about pastors, and, and the, the kind of role, the kind of created order that God has given. In other words, they'll take real problems. It's not that there are no problems and there are no abuses, but then they'll, they'll attach that to a biblical truth, give it a horrible name, 
and then and ridicule you if if you would hold to that biblical truth. And they'll say things like this, well, we've grown beyond that now. You know, that we are learning more. That's backwards. Now, I give that one example. There's, mul- there's multiple examples of just where biblical truth is pilloried. And if you're reading that stuff all the time, you're going to get sucked in. Unless you've got the Word of God abiding in you and you say, well, no, wait a minute, that's wrong. Parents, you know, and you're watching things with their kids and there's, there's these lies that are promoted. You know, it's good to say, look, out loud, hey, kids, that's a lie. And, and as you go through your day to keep bringing yourself back to the Word, um, you, you can't recast reality into the popular terms coined by God-haters. Now, be, be very careful that the things that you say and where you get stirred up, that, that the terms you've adopted and the way of talking about things you've adopted aren't, aren't things that are coined by God-haters. You want to be among the God-lovers. And the Word of God is critical to that. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to be close to God, you've got to be in the Word, and the Word has got to be in you. This is, this is absolutely foundational to your having staying power. Second, present protection, discernment from the Spirit who abides in you. So, you've got the objective standard of God's Word. Now, the subjective experience of that Word applied through the Spirit of God. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. They're trying to lead you astray. But the anointing that you received from Him abides, it remains in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as He has taught you, abide in Him. So once again, John explains why he's writing. There are people that are trying to deceive the believers if they can. But the anointing that you have received abides in you. That's the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. You are owner-occupied by the Spirit of God, and He is the one that makes you holy. You now belong to God, and the Spirit empowers and protects those that belong to God. He protects His own. This is why you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, we want to be careful not to tear the statement from its context. He's not saying nobody needs teaching. Because there's too, much, there's too much teaching, right? And there are people that are attached to that. In Ephesians 4, Christ gave His church teachers. He gave them apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the whole church body grows in doctrinal and practical Christ-like maturity. So it's not saying, I don't need anybody to teach me. We're all learning. We all, we all need teachers. And the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts according to His will. So that the whole body is benefited by what each gifted member brings to it, including teachers. We're not lone rangers. But what he's saying is we do not need teaching outside of what the Word and the Spirit provide. One of the tactics of the enemy is, is to make you feel stupid if you're not up on the latest gizmo. On, on the latest philosophy, on the latest terminology, they, you know, they look down on you and make you feel like you're ignorant. And so he's saying, look, you're not ignorant. You, you don't need more teaching in order to succeed in life. 
He's talking about those who are bringing new teaching to believers to deceive them. They allege that what we've received in the beginning is not enough. They want to go beyond that. They cast doubt on the wisdom of confining oneself to what the Scriptures reveal. They belittle the believer's spirit-given wisdom and direction, try to get you to violate your conscience. False teaching like this raises alarms in a born-again believer's heart. We search the Scriptures to see whether these things are so. Now, the Bereans did that as Paul took the prophecy regarding, prophecies regarding Jesus and told about how Jesus fulfilled them and how the portraits matched. And they searched the Scriptures to see whether what Paul was preaching was actually so. And sure enough, it was. Look, if somebody's preaching, if somebody's teaching, then you ought to be able to search the Scriptures and see whether or not what they're teaching is actually so. It's not that I can't grow. It's not that I'm not going to learn new things, but whatever I learn that's new needs to conform to what the Scriptures say. Isaiah 8.20, talking about wizards that peep and mutter. If they speak not according to the law, what's already been given, there is no dawn in them. There's no light in them. 2 John 1.9, which we'll eventually get to, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The teaching of the Spirit is always in line with the Scriptures because the Spirit is the one who brought them into being. So sometimes people say, well, God is leading me to do this. Well, He's not leading you to do anything that the Scripture forbids. He's just not. And it's amazing some of the statements you hear. God's leading me to divorce my wife. No, you're not. God's leading me to uh, not read the Scriptures. No, He's not. God's Spirit works in line with God's Word. Second Peter 1, knowing this first of all, no prophecy of the Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So it doesn't matter that it was written 2,000 years ago or 1,500 years before that because it didn't come from someone's own interpretation. This is not just what Paul thought or what Peter thought or what Amos thought or what Moses thought. These are the words of God that He revealed through these men. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of the Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So beware of those who want to say, oh, well, the Bible, you know, is in a totally different culture. It reflects the culture of the times, the primitive thinking, and and they'll have a number of terms that are very, you know, make it seem bad and, and backwards and whatever. And, and therefore, now you need to get with the times. You need to, to bring your thinking up to date. No. This is from the ancient of days. And it will always be true. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. The false teachers minimize Him. They are hawking other keys to spiritual success. They are hawking lies. You, you won't be better off with new teaching You won't be wiser. You won't be stronger. False teaching deceives. It leads you astray in order to destroy you. 
But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, in John 15 and John 16, calls him the spirit of truth. So does 1 John 5, 6, spirit of truth. Yes, there is objective truth, and the Spirit of God is the one that delivers it. Now, how is this truth from the Spirit, this anointing, how is it inside of us as well? We're in a competition. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, here's the prophecy of the, of the new covenant. This is the whole point of what Christ brought to us the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. How does he do that? He does it through the Spirit. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer, maybe John is thinking about this text, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity." And I will remember their sin no more. Christ has removed the barrier between us and God. When we're trusting in Him, He has reconciled us to the Father. His Word abides in us. His Spirit abides in us. And now we have a relationship with God that's alive, that's living, that's vital. And, and the Spirit leads us. Isaiah 59, 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. This is why the New Testament is going to say, look, walk in the spirit, that is, live your walkabout life in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Look, and you're tempted to do wrong. To, to violate the Word of God, you can't actually follow through unless you separate yourself from yielding to the Spirit. Every time you're tempted, you're, you're presented a choice. Do I want to keep walking with God, or do I want to go my own way? If I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. The Puritans used to call this practicing the presence of God. Think about going through your whole day, every class, every part of your day, your, your, your private time, your public time, uh, all the challenges of it, going through the day with a consciousness that God is with you all the days. And we see this change from the inside out, those that have been born again, yielding the fruit of the Spirit. And so as you think about your life, what what evidence do you see? What are you experiencing that, that would confirm to you that God's Spirit is actually in you, that you have an anointing that is in you, that is guiding you to do what is right and leading you to honor the Lord? Yield to that. When the Spirit prompts you to do something and it's in line with the Word of God, yield to it. Do it. Live that way. Think, think about how this could could totally redefine what, what going through a normal work week is like when you're thinking, God, help, help me do what you want me to do. Help me say what you want me to say. God, I, I'm in this. You might not even like where you, you might not like your job. You might not like the situation that you're in, but you're there by the providence of God. And so you say, God, 
help me, help me tackle this in a way that's in line with you. Just lead me. Just show me. God answers prayers like that. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, we would love for there to be no sorrows. We would love there to be no troubles or difficulty. Um, but we know that we live in a world like that, and we're going to suffer them along with other human beings. But, but as those that belong to Jesus, to be able to live that with, with Jesus with you, with the Spirit of God guiding you, Lord, help me not to be fooled. Help me not be led astray. Lord, help nothing to matter more to me than my relationship to you. Practice that Spirit of God. This, this Spirit of the truth tells no lies. And this is, this is why the, the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they, they go together. The Word of God is the objective standard by which we measure whether the Spirit of God is leading us or some other spirit. Because they'll always work in concert with one another. Um, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, this gives us staying power. And then there's, there's a future dimension as well. In, ver, in number three, a future certainty, verses 28 and 29, expectation for the coming Christ in whom you abide. And now, little children, abide in Him that when He appears, not if, when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. We're reminded again of the John 15 where, where Jesus says, abide in me, you're going to be fruitful. Abide in me, stay close to me. And, and one who lives this way has confidence, will have confidence when he returns. That word is used for boldness or freedom of speech. It's used to describe the apostles' boldness to proclaim the gospel when they're under the power of the Spirit. And so, so think of it as this, this, this fullness, this boldness that you would have at His coming and not shrinking from Him in shame. Well, why would I shrink from Him in shame? Well, if I'm, if I'm busy doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. And so, what's this pointing us to? It's pointing us to the accountability we have to Jesus. We look forward to His return. We're expecting His return at any time. We know He's coming back. We know that, uh, James puts it, the judge is at the door. And, and so, we live our lives in light of that soon return. And Christ gave multiple parables, like the parables of the talents and of the pounds where the Lord has gone away on a journey, and you're supposed to use what He's given to you, knowing that He will reward you for faithfulness and knowing that you'll have to give an account of your lives. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing with what Christ has given me to grow? What am I doing with what Christ has given me and the opportunities He's given me to advance His kingdom? When He appears... His manifestation, His bringing to light. The, the light is coming. There's actually four occurrences of this reference to Him appearing. The first two look toward His future appearing. The second two toward His past appearing. I mean, four references right here in the book of 1 John. Uh, both His first coming and His second coming call us to holy living. For example, the, the other future one is 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So the Lord comes, and we're already living in a way that's consistent with the way He would live. 
Then it talks about the past. In 1 John 3, 5, he appeared in order to take away sins. And therefore, verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Like, I belong to Jesus, and he appeared to free me from sin. Why would I keep making myself a slave to it? 1 John 3, 8, he appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, if we're born of God, we don't make a practice of sinning like the devil does. So it makes sense that if I know he's, he's coming, if I know he's appearing, and I know why he appeared in the first hand and why he's, he's coming or his second coming, I'm going to live in a way that reflects that. Then it refers to his appearing as his coming. It actually is a term used in ancient times of a royal visit, like everything in readiness. You're getting ready to roll out the red carpet. Like we just, um, we just sang about it, I will, I will watch and wait for my Savior King. Okay? I will watch and wait for my Savior King. His return at any time, and those that expect him live in ways they know would please him where he suddenly to show up. If we get mired in all the temporal concerns of the here and now, we lose sight of why we're on the planet, and and we've lost sight of the fact that He's coming back. Remember that history is rushing toward this destiny, and we are part of it. Everyone who acts like they, they never have to answer to Christ is playing the fool. You and I will answer to Christ. There's a way of living that's consistent with knowing I'm going to give an account to Christ. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful, wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at his proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So the way you're treating other people. Truly, I say to you, he will set them over all his possessions. But If that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, because he hasn't been expecting him anyway, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the difference between those who know Jesus and those who don't. This is the difference between those that that face judgment as it's coming versus those that will enter into their inheritance, is, is they live in a way that expects Him to come. I mean, look, you can't be harsh with your wife and trashing your children if you're thinking about Jesus holding you to account for how you treat those committed to your care. You can't be cheating in your business if you're thinking about Jesus who knows every penny and how you've spent it. You can't go around as a talebearer and a slanderer if you know that Jesus is going to hold you accountable for every idle word. And it's not that we don't ever sin in these ways, but this certainly can't be the pattern of our lives. I mean, sometimes some of the troubles we get into, I just scratch my head and they go like, what did you think, God died? You think God's deaf and dumb and blind that He would let you get away with this? Do you think there's any place that you can run where His hand will not find you? Look, if we know who God is and we know how powerful He is and we know how good He is, then we live that way knowing that He's coming. This is part of staying power. Our eyes are set on that. And so 
yeah, we've got to, we've got to make a living. We've got to take care of our homes. We, we have all kinds of responsibilities, but they're all, they're all part of a larger purpose in life of serving Jesus. And that makes us ready for His coming. 1 John 2.29, if you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. His character of righteousness drives our desire to live righteously and gives us the power to do so if we're born again in keeping with who He is. If we're genuine believers, His life is in us. We are born again. We are His children. We represent Him. We are outposts of His heavenly kingdom. We're a colony of citizens with heavenly customs of light shining out in a world with customs of darkness. We are saved by grace, not by our works, but He saved us unto good works, according to Ephesians 2.10. Our good works display the reality that Jesus has saved us and that He's at work in us. We won't achieve perfection in this life, but the general character and disposition of our lives is one of righteousness and goodness. So, you know, every day, and I like to pray this way, like, God, help, help me to do good to people today. Lord, show me how I can benefit other people today. Help. That, that's what I want my day to be about. Help me honor you. Help me benefit others. And, and then to try to keep my eyes open for that. Those who celebrate and condone or excuse a lifestyle that's contrary to His commands show that they're still in rebellion against Him. They're not actually loyal citizens born again by the Holy Spirit. The King is coming, and you belong to Him. So honor Him. Whatever suffering that may mean for those who refuse His reign, but, but honor Him. Better to lose everything, even life itself, and to lose him. I'm often reminded of Christ's words to his to the twelve when so many were turning away from Jesus, and he says, Will you also go away? And remember what Peter's response was? Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to go? If you belong to Jesus, if you've received His Word, if you have His Spirit, if you're looking for His coming, you've got what you need. Don't let go. The sure foundation, present protection, future certainty, the Word, the indwelling Spirit, Christ's coming, these three shape our lives and guard our hearts from joining the Antichrist of this age. God help us with our staying power. Let's pray. God, in ourselves we are weak as worms. In ourselves we have no good thing to bring before You. The only good we have is what You have, what you have caused to grow in us. And so, God, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here, God, keep us. Keep us in Your love. Keep us in Your Word. Keep us walking in Your Spirit. Keep us living lives expectant that the Savior King is about to walk in the door. God, may we live for the everlasting kingdom. 
May we shut our minds and our ears to the lies of the age while we hold fast to the truth that is in Jesus. In his name we pray.